Well, I know it's a little toasty. And we're going to try some things here. Uh, we knew this wasn't a long-term solution, at least not for the summer. So uh, we'll see how this goes. Uh, we want to try to turn on the fan. And how's that going to work? Can you hear me? Well, let's try it. And that'll remove some of the warmer air. And if Eric can get us just at the right level, we'll see. If you can't at some point hear me, or maybe you don't want to, but if you can't, if you want to raise your hand, and I'll, we'll try to make adjustments in that. Uh, I was uh, supposed to... Uh, teach about a month ago, and uh, we had some, some adversity in our lives at that point, and, and I so much appreciate Mike stepping in with uh, short notice and uh, taking up even another teaching time for us, and uh, I just want to say how much I appreciate Mike, you and your family, and rejoice with you in sending Jessica off with Juan, and... Uh, Real blessing yesterday. Beautiful wedding and uh, a wonderful family. Uh, also, give praise that Jonathan and Jenna have little Emma Grace, and we have a lot to be thankful for. So, um, I was last month. I was going to teach on a completely different topic, and then uh, these things came up, and I thought, you know, there's a lot of people in this fellowship who have had trials, tribulations, adversity come up. And, you know, we shouldn't go through all this and not learn something. So I, I decided to maybe teach on that topic, maybe a short series, maybe just a couple of messages, maybe a few more. Uh, thinking about a name, and my initial thought was, pain is gain. And Christy nixed that, because that sounds too much like the Marine Corps. And that's exactly where it came from, of course. But uh, Except the Marines add on, extreme pain is extremely profitable. So I went back to something a little more soothing, uh, the winds of adversity, if you will. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I am tried, uh, you know, when adversity comes... I just want to get rid of it. You know, that's my initial response. And I suspect that that's a fairly common response. Um, but because of our recent experiences, we've tried to maybe take a more God's eye view of why God allows us to experience adversity uh, and maybe learn some of the in, invaluable lessons, even blessings, of adversity. Uh, I'm sure, you know, I'm only going to scratch the surface or, you know, peel a few layers off the onion, if you will. But um, what I want to do is just take a look at some of the reasons we have adversity. Um, now, for purposes of our discussion today... I'm defining adversity pretty broadly to include any serious 
contention, uh, affliction, trial, tribulation, anguish, testing. You know, there's lots of synonyms. Uh, anything where you don't feel good. I mean, and there's a good reason for that. And so the first point that I want to talk about today is that God gives us adversity, first of all, to gain our attention. Now, our lives, as you well know, are filled with all of our personal goals, our activities, our relationships, our projects, uh, and many of those are good and godly things, but nonetheless, most of them are probably cares of this world and tend to crowd out the voice of the Holy Spirit. Hi, Mike. <laughs> uh, adversity, on the other hand, suddenly brings some problems or pressures that are too big for us to handle. And so, what do we do with it? After a couple of weeks of suffering, uh, the doctor ordered an MRI for Jonathan. And I went in with him, and uh, they put me in the room with this big contraption that they, were, they stuck Jonathan in. And uh, the staff went behind this window. And uh, it was a very painful experience for Jonathan because he had to lay still for like 20, 25 minutes. Uh, but it was pretty uneventful for me. I just kind of watched. And that is until the end of the, the MRI when the radiologist came out and said, we need to do another one. And she had a look of concern on her face and then uh, she went back in and I noticed as they were doing this second MRI that a lot of the staff was gathered around the screen that I couldn't see but they were pointing. And when that was all over, uh, they, they suggested that uh, we needed to see our doctor very soon uh, to ask him about the mass that the MRI disclosed in Jonathan's hip area. And we went to the doctor the same day, and, and he was very kind uh, and even prayed with us uh, and explained that based upon the radiologist's report, uh, he was referring us to an oncologist in, uh, at Children's Mercy Hospital uh, who was a specialist in this particular type of cancer that afflicts young people, even though it was an uncommon form. I guess you could say at that point that God had our attention. Uh, I can't say that I had just the right response, because, you know, I'd, I'd never really been jolted like that before, and my response really should have been, unto you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, let me not be ashamed. Don't let my enemies triumph over me. Now, during the next several weeks, our strength was often drained. Getting up at night with Jonathan's pain, his fever and chills, 
and I'm sure many of you have experienced not just the physical, but the emotional drain that comes from watching a loved one suffer. When adversity drains our strength, Christ gives us a very attractive invitation. He says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My kids will tell you that when I sing in a group, I have an effective casualty radius of about 8 to 10 meters. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you've never sat near me. So you might be surprised to learn that Esther has a beautiful voice. So beautiful that uh, we and many others encouraged her to pursue the study of music uh, in college. But because of her spiritual gift, as she's an incurable mercy, she decided that instead of ministering to people through music, she wanted to pursue nursing so that she could help hurting people. Paul says in Romans 8, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he would be the firstborn of many brethren. Now, little did we know how God was working out his plan to provide us with such loving support. Esther's been an invaluable support and met a huge need in our family in a very difficult time. She's helped us immeasurably in working through the, the medical maze and interpreting doctor speak and uh, long nights of fevers and chills and pain and arranging for treatments. Uh, she's absolutely been used by God in her brother's treatment and healing. I guess the whole world knows, or at least the couple billion of you who are on Facebook, that yesterday I had the privilege of waking up twice. Um, after a uh, little back problem from Friday night softball, I uh, woke up a little stiff and lightheaded uh, once I got out of bed. And the next thing I knew, I had this surrealistic and hazy view of a heavenly face calling my name. And I thought it was Christy, and then I, as I came to my senses, I realized that it was Esther trying to revive me. Um, you know, I can't tell you how much we've been blessed by all of our children, uh, but in his omniscience, God knew that we needed in our home for this very difficult time the competent hand and loving heart of Esther, my teeny weeny queenie. (laughs) 
And as Paul says in there in Romans 8, Romans 8, God's purpose in getting our attention is to conform us more and more to the image of Christ. In this way, adversity actually works for our good. Secondly, adversity assures us of God's love. Doesn't sound right, does it? Satan uses adversity to tempt us into the notion that God has forsaken us, or for some, that he doesn't even exist. Pain and suffering is one of the chief reasons that people turn to disbelief or atheism. Uh, Or some who fall away from the faith when things get tough. However, if we simply use common sense and look at Scripture, we'll understand a little bigger picture. If God showed us His love by avoidance of pain and suffering and chastisement, in other words, if believers never suffered, we would never learn anything by cause and effect, by the consequences of our actions. If, following salvation, we could avoid adversity, well, Christianity would be really popular, but simply unreal. Given that we know we have a sin nature, is it reasonable to think that we would avoid sin or we would, have, we would sin without consequences? Instead, adversity is proof that God lovingly prepares us for his greater glory. In Hebrews 12, it says, For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines or chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seems best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems unpleasant, not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who are, have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. In other words... Pain is gain. Now, if God allows me to suffer the consequences for my actions, even acute pain, maybe even death, as discipline, isn't it quite possible and expected that he would use adversity in my life for his larger purposes that are even more important than me? The important thing for us to remember is that we see God's love in adversity rather than develop resentment or feelings of abandonment or even question his existence. If we truly trust God, we will believe his word. Now, the third point I want to make here is that God leads, or adversity, 
leads us to self-examination. Uh, of course, when adversity strikes, we want to know why. Why me? Why my family? Why my loved one? Uh, and the answer may or may not be clear. It may be chastening for sin. It may be something else. But just to be sure, it's always best to deal with sin or possible sin as soon as possible. The Proverbs tell us that he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Beyond that, it appears that God does not even want our worship if we have unresolved sin in our lives. Jesus taught those assembled for the Sermon on the Mount. If you come presenting your offering before the altar and there remember that your brother has anything against you, stop. Leave the altar. Go and be reconciled to your brother. And only after that, then come and offer your present gift. Certainly, one of the benefits of adversity is that it naturally leads or should first lead us to self-examination. So, which response to adversity do you think God honors? Anger and bitterness over our loss, our pain? Or, as the psalmist says in, in chapter 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any wicked or hurtful way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's why, just as Jesus exhorted in Matthew 5, Paul, in the context of the Lord's table, exhorts all of us, when, before we take the Lord's table, to look inward before we look upward. 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must first examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep, or we understand to have died. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But if instead, when we are judged by God, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. The problem might be as evident as the nose on my face. But how do I figure out what it is if it's not? Well, I might want to start my inquiry with looking at Scripture. Um, in Proverbs 17, it tells us that if I return evil to someone for their good, evil will not depart from my house. Another example might be when things are going poorly, it could honestly be something as simple as dishonoring 
my parents. In Ephesians 6, it says, Honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be, may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And there are probably a number of other passages you can look to as you examine yourselves in this inquiry to see if there's any real reason for the adversity that I'm facing, if it's not clear to you. The next point that I want to cover is that God uses adversity to conquer our pride. In my self-examination, I have to constantly check this one out. The Proverbs tell us that one of God's ways uh, for revealing our pride is by several adversities, such as the adversity of contention. Only by pride comes contention. The adversity of destruction. Pride goes before a destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The adversity of shame. When pride comes, then comes shame. Now, when any of these adversities strike, we have a remedy if only we'll seek it out. Again, the Proverbs counsel in chapter 29, a man's pride will bring him low, but honor will uphold the humble in spirit. If I were to ask you, what man in Scripture, what mortal in Scripture, was the most gifted and had the greatest reason to be proud, who would you suggest? Maybe Paul? And Paul knew exactly why he suffered what he called a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now, I'm sure anyone who's experienced adversity of any significance can tell you that it simply humbles you if you will only stop and consider what higher purposes God has in your trials. James 4 tells us that, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Next, let's take a look at adversity as it reminds us of our weaknesses. Uh, certain things about us are changeable, and certain things we can't change. As we learn to take glory in our unchangeable weaknesses, we experience the, the power of Christ resting in us. Let's go back to Paul's thorn in the flesh. And I'm going to read that passage in 2 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, torment me to keep me from exalting myself. 
Consider this, I implored the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. But he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Again, the Marines got it right on this one. Now, some might think that's an attractive message. You know, that's counterintuitive. It just doesn't make sense. To which we should respond, God's ways are not man's ways. 1 Corinthians 1 at verse 27 says, God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. And the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. You see, when God works through our weaknesses, both we and others cannot boast. In fact, we are then free to give him all the praise. At no time in my life did I feel more powerless, more insufficient, more frustrated that I couldn't just fix it than watching my children suffer, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain. But God in His wisdom reserves that power to Himself so that I might depend upon him rather than myself and then do something that is not natural to me with which I'm not comfortable which is our last point for the day adversity motivates us to cry out to God you know parents do their small or big children a great disfavor by doting and uh, fretting about every little cry or whimper. We simply teach them to pout and complain and that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Uh, most experienced parents that I know will eventually just continue on with their adult conversation, uh, you know, despite a little plaintive cry in the other room. Uh, because they know instinctively that it's not serious. However, there's a distinctive cry that every loving parent knows signifies a real emergency, a hurt or a need that must be addressed. There's a certain intensity level that once reached will cause even the most casual parent to jump in order to save their loved one. 
God responds to the cry of his children when adversity hits. Psalm 34 tells us that the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Certainly, this means crying out in the Spirit. I mean, after all, it would be a little bit embarrassing to cry out loud to God, wouldn't it? Well, let's consider Psalm 3. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. We shouldn't be ashamed of crying out verbally to God. When we heard that Johnny may have a tumor on a Friday, and we couldn't see the oncologist until Monday, I told uh, many people that that intervening period was the longest weekend of our lives. Uh, Chrissy and I shed many a tear. And uh, many prayers were offered up by us and for us by many, including all of you, which we are greatly appreciative of. For the first time in my life, I had to face the prospect of possibly losing my son. And for many guests here, he's okay now. He didn't have a tumor. But we didn't know that at the time. Um... I found myself crying out, as any of you would, for Johnny. Just uh, the next day, I think, I received an email from my son, Matthew. And it just said, I hope this can be an encouragement to you. And it was the lyrics to a song, which I'm going to read to you here. It's called He's My Son by Mark Schultz. The reason this hit me so hard is this is exactly what I prayed. I'm down on my knees again tonight. I'm hoping this prayer will turn out right. See, there's a boy that needs your help. I've done all I can to help. His mother is tired. I'm sure you can understand. Each night as he sleeps. She, <clears throat> she goes in to hold his hand. And she tries not to cry as the tears fill her eyes. Can you hear me? Am I getting through tonight? Can you see him? Can you make him feel all right? If you can hear me, let me take his place somehow. You see, he's not just anyone. He's my son. Sometimes late at night, I watch him sleep. I dream of the boy he'd like to be. I try to be strong and see him through. But God, who he needs right now is you. Let him grow old, live life without this fear. What would I be living without him here? He's so tired, he's so scared. Let him know you're there. Can you hear me? Am I getting through tonight? Can you see him? Can you make him feel all right? If you can hear me, let me take his place somehow. 
See, he's not just anyone. He's my son. Can you hear me? Can you see him? Please don't leave him. He's my son. Last night, um, at the uh, reception, uh, I was talking to, Christy and I were talking to Marvin DeGroff, whose daughter Anna is suffering from Lyme's disease and been through so much. And Christy remembered uh, a situation. When Jonathan was just a few days old, he contracted pneumonia and had to be hospitalized. He was born at home and didn't avoid the hospital. Uh, and they had to stick a feeding tube in his head, which traumatized my wife tremendously. And with her mother's heart, it hurt immensely to see her baby suffer. She anguished then, much like she has uh, in the last, in the recent past. She then had a word from God. Some would call it a rhema, some would call it just an insight that God said to her I understand I watched my own son suffer and die on the cross let's pray thank you Lord thank you that you love us so much that you send us these adversities to remind us how much we need you. Lord, that we cannot face the difficulties of life alone. That we're not robots. That we have a special relationship with you. And without you, we would truly be lost. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in each and every one of our lives. Lord, we don't enjoy the Adversity, we don't enjoy pain, but we know, Lord, that you can use it for your purposes. Lord, I give you praise and honor and glory, and thank you for this privilege you have for us to be together and to encourage one another. And Lord, I thank you so much for the faithfulness and the loyalty and the support and love that the saints of Lion and Lamb and the larger Christian community has shown my family. And pray that I would respond in kind when others are facing the winds of adversity. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, amen.